earth mass, plastic mass, 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 that's all you hear. You should wear them, you shouldn't wear them, you don't need to wear them, you do need to wear them, and it's just so confusing, and I'm just so tired of it. And I think you probably are too, so hopefully this will satisfy everybody. All you can see is my eyes this morning. Well, as you know, I'm a firm believer in the Apostle Paul and the truth that he gives us. And the Apostle Paul says, take off the mask and leave the mask off. And that's what's in our passage this morning. Romans chapter 12 And verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. Our passage this morning is truly about not wearing masks for you and for I. Uh, different kind of mask, of course, than I just displayed, but still in all, not wearing, wearing masks when it comes to living out the Christian life. Paul has just written about the gifts that he gives his, that God gives his children to build the local church, the body of Christ. God gives us his spirit at salvation, and with him, gifts that he will use to glorify himself. With this in mind, Paul states how we are to be in utilizing our gifts. Let love be without hypocrisy. Unmask. Let your love be genuine. God knows the hearts of men and, even, and how even those in leadership of a church will have a tendency to keep self the main focus, to lack true love. We have been seeing the truth of this in 1 Corinthians with Pastor Kern's messages. God's love is not masked. It wasn't with the nation of Israel, his love towards them, and it certainly isn't today as his totally unmasked love for us was displayed at the cross of Calvary as he gave his son for those of us who even hated him. For God so loved the world. We are to be, let our love be unmasked. Let love be without hypocrisy. And I was reminded of this, I was looking at this this week as I was studying, and I was reminded of, of a friend that I had in Florida, so this was a long time ago. And uh, him and I were going fishing one day, and we stopped uh, to get some supplies for fishing. And uh, he ran into a really good friend. And the way they talked, I thought, wow, these guys really, really like each other and everything. And I was impressed and uh, uh, not really surprised. But as they separated and we went on to our fishing trip, I heard the awfulest speech, whatever, on this man that he had just been with. <laughs> I, I was given the impression that they were best friends and that my friend couldn't stand him. 
uh, didn't want anything to do with him. And you did never, never, I would never picked up on it in that conversation. That's hypocrisy. Uh, it's a Greek word used for the acting of a stage actor. And actors in those days had mass, so the audience could see whether the character was tragic, comic, or melodramatic. melodramatic excuse me. They would pick up the mass would be on a stick, usually, I think, and they'd put it in front of their face so those way off could tell, if they, even if they couldn't hear, what was going on. It was a comedy uh, section or uh, it was a tragic section, whatever, and it would show by the, um, the face on the mask. Um, and it's interesting uh, how this carried over into real life and thus hypocrisy, pretending to be what one is not. Um, defined, this word means the assuming of a false appearance of virtue or goodness with dissimulation of real character or inclinations, especially in respect of religious life or beliefs, and from thence pretense and sham. It's pretending to be what we aren't. It's pretending to be, uh, well, again, so often the Christian life is portrayed as an act we're to perform, and the Bible doesn't teach that. God's love, which is what this love is, can have no part of this. Some poisons are so powerful that if you put a drop or two in a gallon of milk, uh, it can kill any person that would drink a glass of it. Hypocrisy is such a poison and can poison a whole church. Love must be without it. And unfortunately, we have seen, experienced, know of, read of, so much of this taking place in Christ's church. And that is uh, that poison of wearing masks, if you will. The Holy Spirit places this sentence here in this passage because we are moving from the list of gifts to instructions for exercising them. And, it, and it's wonderful and beautiful the way the, the progression of all of Romans, uh, really, but from Romans 12.1 in that surrendering to the Lord on through this passage of, uh, you know, you, you'll learn the perfect will of God when you surrender to him and want his will and that he gives us faith for the gifts that he's given us and then the gifts and now how we conduct ourselves as we allow him to use us within the local church. Our gifts are intended to be used with zeal, with diligence, with cheerfulness, but here it's something more. True love must leave the stage and walk the paths of real life. True love must leave the stage and walk the paths of real life. In other words, it's not just church on, uh, on Sunday morning when most of us have a real easy go of that parking lot conversion. 
maybe fighting all the way to church or wrong thoughts and everything else, we get into the parking lot and that all changes. And now I'm here with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. I have to act different. I have to be different. And we put on that mask. Sometimes it only lasts during the service and then it comes off again. As we say, the, Christ, the Christian life is not a performance, but a yielded life. Human righteousness can't produce the love that God is. This is a love God's spirit fills you and I with when we're yielded to him. It is to characterize a person who has become the temple, uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit Yes, it is, it, it is to characterize a person to become the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is love, and God dwells within. And uh, the more that we recognize that, the more we recognize him in our life, the more that becomes a reality. The chief characteristic of God, which is love, which he says he is, must become the chief characteristic of his children. One commentator writes, it is well to note that no definition of love is given her. Someone has said there are times when definition is destruction. Whoever questioned the beauty of the sunset, but who can define it? The astronomer can give us the mathematics of it, and I doubt, that there, I doubt not that there is mathematics in the sunset, but there is no sunset glory in the mathematics. There is chemistry of colors, but there is no wistful healing light in that chemistry. Beauty defined is beauty destroyed. And so here, God simply states that love is to take off every disguise and walk with heart bared for the world to see. It is a hard thing to do, for instinct warns us to protect ourselves and to keep the wounds away from our hearts. If we don't love, then I don't, I'm not vulnerable. I'm, I'm not going to get rejected or whatever. I'm not going to get my heart hurt. To protect ourselves and to keep the wounds away from our hearts, how easy it is to form a shell about one's emotions and to withhold all that love might give for the fear of being hurt. Only when we recognize that the love of Christ will cast out all fear of being hurt can we love as he wants us to love? And how true that is. When we're resting in the love of our Lord and he's filling us with uh, his love, we no longer fear that of being rejected by others. We no longer fear of those uh, rejecting us or what we have to say, especially about him. The Lord Jesus came in love and died for us. We who have been saved by his love are possessed by his love. The more we look to the cross and see that love expressed and the more knowledge we have of God who is love, the more we are free of self and able to express love freely to others. I believe Ephesians 4:32 through 5:2 expresses this very clearly. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, 
and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. A sweet-smelling aroma, that's what we send up to God when we love with his love, when we love others as he loves us. Many say that hypocrisy keeps people from church, and you hear it all the time. I would go to church once many hypocrites there. <laughs> well, uh, that defines pretty much all of everybody in one form or another. And we know that won't hold up. You and I uh, that know the Jesus Christ as Savior, we know that we've been given a choice, and it was up to us whether we want to know the Lord or not, whether we want to know the truth or not. And God is never going to use that as a legitimate excuse. At the end times when we're all before him, I didn't go to church and hear the truth because there My big disappointments, and I won't mention his name, was grace of God, and later, in fact, he's my age, uh, later in his life, he, we learned that he had been living a double-minded life, if you will. He had been living in adultery for most of the time that he was preaching. How difficult this is, how hard this is to, to hear and to know. And I love this man, still do. But what a disappointment. And again, because of the, loves, the Lord's love for me and in my life, it didn't destroy me. I've seen people destroyed by others' hypocrisy. Um, but we needn't do that. His love through us should do the opposite, should do the opposite. No, we keep continually filled with his love. We continually are able to give it away, share it with others, regardless of what they do with it. This is so, so very important, something I didn't understand early in my Christian life is how can pastors uh, live through the disappointment that they uh, go through when people turn away from the truth, turn away from the love of God and turn on them, uh, this kind of thing. But as we grow in the Lord and as, again, uh, he continually fills us with his love, we can accept this. We don't like it, but we can accept it and we don't take it personal. So we're going to uh, see as we go on. One of the things that uh, I need to mention too is that on these masks, you know, and where this came up was these masks, okay, it might be a, a, a comical part of the play.
<laughs> Something's not coming through somewhere. Um, we are so grateful for our uh, worship team and what they're doing to uh, um, make our uh, services uh, better all the time. And uh, I don't know, I kind of think what this is for, but thank you. Uh, now I got an echo. <laughs> Maybe that make me preach better, eh? Okay, we're to be genuine lovers, but we also are called to be haters. Haters. That doesn't sound right, does it? We're called to be lovers, but we're also to be called haters. God says in our in our verse this morning, abhor. What is evil? Abhor what is evil. We are actually called to be haters, haters of evil. The translators seem to want to water this word down with the word abhor, which has more of the sense of disgust attached to it. But that's not the word. The word is hate. Hate. Hate what is evil. One commentator writes, people are frequently afraid to admit that hatred is a Christian virtue. Uh, maybe you never thought about that before. The problem is one of direction. The hatred must be there, but it must be directed against what is evil rather than against individuals. We must not forget that one of the biblical proofs of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ is that he knew how to hate. He left an example in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, where we read, But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. We attempt to help God out when it comes to things we may not like. We don't like to think of our Lord Jesus hating. We need to rest assured that he does hate. The Bible's quite clear on that. He hates the evil actions and words that people do. Evil, we want to remember, is what? Anything that is not of God. Anything that is not of God is evil. It doesn't mean just the murder of an innocent person doesn't mean that. No, if it's not of God, it's evil. Pure and simple. There's no gray area. We see, we're going to see that in Romans coming up. No, it's either good, it's either of God, or it's evil. There is no in-between. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 is clear that there are seven things that God hates. Chapter 16, these things, six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. God hates, number one, verse 17, a proud look. A proud look. God hates haughty eyes. I did my mass this morning in the... This one, all of that covering my face didn't really cover me. Um, 
eyes are the window to the heart. You can still see my eyes. You could tell if you watched, look closely, what was going on to my eyes. A parent learns this or should learn this fairly quickly with his children. Eyes are the window to the heart. They reveal what is going on here. This is why kids, mom or dad, may tell you at times, don't you look at me like that. They see in your eyes what's going on, and it's not good. Pride, of course, is what God hates, as pride is the opposite of love. We must hate it first in ourselves, and again, it takes the love of God coming into our life to be able to see the pride in ourselves. Without his love, we have a problem with that, and uh, we think there's nothing wrong with us. The more that we experience God's love, the more that we see the pride in our own lives. Pride, of course, is what God hates. His pride is the opposite of love. We must hate it in ourselves, and we must hate it in others as well. An important part of parenting is helping our children to recognize pride in their lives. This is so very important. It can't be impressed enough. If a child grows up and that pride is left there, what use do they have for God? I'm in control. I am the one. I am. I am. So pride needs to be dealt with. It needs to be <clears throat> brought out uh, to the child. This is what's wrong, this is wrong in your life. All right, we go on, God hates a lying tongue. <laughs> uh, forgive me for laughing, but uh, uh, he's having plenty of time for hatred these days. Our Lord taught us that lying comes from where? It comes from Satan, the father of lies. Go up before Congress today and say that, see if you can get out of there without... <laughs> being nailed. Jesus tells us that Satan is the father of lies and God hates a lying tongue. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. <clears throat> God hates the murder of the innocent. Notice that God is very clear here on it being innocent blood. Is there anyone so innocent as an unborn child? We see the hatred of those who insist on the murder of the unborn. You can see the hatred that you would dare say that God hates the shedding of innocent blood. We know that their hatred is directed towards God. It is ironic that abortionists are often those who fight to save the lives of murderers, those who have murdered innocent people. There's another thing that's that been going on for a, how long, that we want to protect someone who has murdered an innocent being. To protect someone that has done something horrible 
to someone else, deprive them of life, and yet protect them. No, God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. God tells us that these people should be put to death. And again, we see primarily a hatred towards God and his righteousness. God has always had it right because he is righteous. And he says, if you take the life of an innocent person, then you should be put to death. And again, we see in so many different ways how we turn from God, turn from his, his word, turn from what is right. Now we're turning murders loose to be able to murder again. God hates, verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans. The older translation reads, a heart that devises wicked imaginations. <laughs> now we know about imaginations. Uh, God gave us imaginations that can be used for good or for evil. Wonderful things have come into being through people's imaginations. Awesome things that have come into being that you know, people imagined that they could fly, and eventually that took place. But unfortunately, too many have used their imagination for evil. We like to pick on the extreme. Hitler's imagination brought him to imagine that he could rule the world and that he could rid the world of the Jewish people. That's where his imagination took him. In our country, it has reimagined the police, the best police force probably in history. Let's reimagine whatever that means to make them something else. God said, says that, uh, yeah, excuse me. <clears throat> As God's people, we are to use our imaginations for good. And we just experienced that a few weeks ago in BBS. A lot of imagination went into our vacation Bible school, and it was really good. And uh, we have, as I mentioned earlier, our worship team reimagining uh, our uh, worship time and the technical ends of it, and uh, it's really good, and uh, things should go better uh, as in time. but he hates a heart that devises wicked plans. God hates feet that are swift in running to evil. Swift to running to evil. This would also imply here hatred of those who direct their steps to join an evil that others are doing. All right. Uh, this is our tendency. Something's going on. We don't know God. We don't know truth. We don't know righteousness. Something's going on. That looks good. Let's hit the feelings and we'll all join them. Well, we experienced this in the last couple of years where a few will start something evil and pretty soon thousands have joined them and uh, caused all kinds of harm and even murder. God hates cooperating with evildoers. We are to hate all evil courses of action, not to join them, but to hate them. God hates, verse 19, a false witness who speaks lies. Boy, we, 
witnessed public in the last few years, uh, especially towards our former president. But lies that people stand up and lie and lie and lie and lie and lie. And how do we know a lie? Because later on the truth is exposed and we see that they were lying and knew they were lying all along. It's interesting, and this is something that uh, uh, we should never want in our lives, but there's a congressman's name used now in a profane way to describe a false witness. I'm not going there. Uh, you can fill in the blanks. Maybe you've seen it. But they're actually using his name in a profane way to describe a false witness. Uh, it's sad um, but again, why it's so important for us to know the truth. Without the truth of God's word, all we have to depend on how we feel at the moment. Oh, I feel he's right. Oh, I feel she's right, what she's saying. You know, a woman's choice. Abortion is fine to kill a baby because it's inconvenient in a woman. Oh, I feel that's right. Yeah, it makes sense. But knowing the truth, no, it stands out. It's a lie. And so many things stand out as a lie. So much has happened within the church. So much lying has taken place from what? People not knowing the truth, not knowing the truth, not being taught the truth. When we know the truth, there's a ring to it that we, can, we know right away, no, this is truth, and that's a lie. God hates a false witness who speaks lies. God hates one who sows discord among brethren. <laughs> Here's another one that uh, uh, Christians seem to um, look at as virtue, sowing discord. Once again, how this has been on display in our government, sowing discord. One, one party in particular sowing discord, discord among those of our whole country. They understand the principle of divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. We're called what? The United States of America. We, we work together. We fought together to bring freedom and to make a country that is free and all the freedoms that we have. But work in there. Work in there to divide people again. Women against men. Uh, as well as color against color and sexual preference and things like that. It all sows discord. It all is meant to divide. So those uh, insisting on doing evil uh, can conquer. Uh, it's interesting, too, that uh, it's interesting how one party will always vote 100% in whatever the bill is. And, of course, the reason of that is what? You vote against us in our party and we'll sow discord in your life. Uh, we'll make your life miserable, and they know it. So this is tragic in government, but more so in the church. Again, we never had the right to point the finger outside when we see so much of this very thing going in on in the church and giving re people reason to uh, talk about the hypocrites. Um, our so-called grace movement has sown discord, division for years, for years. 
listen to some people and it's tragic the way they will talk about their brothers who believe almost exactly the same thing and yet sowing discord. I, I uh, uh, can't stand him or all this other kind of thing. We get letters. Uh, I've gotten letters about that movement and that movement and, and this, this and that. You know, no. We hate the evil. If someone is outside the truth of the word of God, we don't like that. We hate that. But not the person. There's so many things that uh, um, are so wrong in this. There are men who have absolutely destroyed the meaning of the word grace. Well, that's why I don't like the term grace movement. Um, we need to find something else. And I've shared, some of you haven't heard, but I've shared of a young lady that my wife and I took into our home years ago, needed counseling, needed ministered to. And whenever I mentioned grace, her face would just screw up with anger, with anger. God's grace, can you imagine that? Why is that? Because of the way people presented what they said was grace. I have a friend that that uh, termed the coin, uh, termed the coin the word uh, or the phrase mystery clubbers. That's probably the best, better term for it. Uh, for many that call themselves grace, they club their particular doctrine. And uh, so much of it is false that they taught, they teach. But how do we get along and how do we love one another? And we, we teach what's open, openly the truth. We protect and proclaim the truth to our flock and keep the evil out. That's our responsibility but not to go around and publicly whatever. I, I received a newsletter at one time, uh, a monthly newsletter, and it was so ugly. It was so awful that I had to write and tell them to, uh, uh, to quit sending it. There was no love, there was no grace. Uh, it, was, it was horrible, and so, Again, we can't throw rocks. What are we doing? What are we doing? Do we hate evil uh, and love others to wholeness? And for Christians to sow discord is a horrible, harmful testimony, and God hates it. This is where he can love us as his children, and yet we can get off track but and he hates what we're doing at the same time he loves us. Leaving this list from Proverbs, God hates false religion. God hates false religion. He has set his own standard for a relationship with him, and he hates all others. Some think one religion is as good as another, which, of course, is a lie. There is the truth which is of God and the opposite which is not. When a Christian speaks of freedom of religion, he means the right of every man, every person to go to hell in his own way or 
to go to heaven in God's way. All right, this is what we're saying, we're freedom of religion. The right of every person to go to hell in his own way or to go to heaven in God's way. There's only one way, and that's God's way, and that's through Jesus Christ. The difference is determined by the word of God. Through the prophet Isaiah, God voiced one of his greatest hatreds in connection with false religion, Isaiah 1, 12 through 15. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. This is what he said to his chosen nation because of where they had gone. Israel went through the motions of formal religion, which came from hypocritical hearts. Even while the Apostle Paul was still telling the world about the Lord Jesus Christ and a personal relationship with him, with the creator God, people were turning back to formal worship. This is what Galatians is about. We must be dressed in his righteousness. We have been given his righteousness at salvation, and we need to learn to live righteously. Incense is a symbol of worship, and any form of insincere worship is a stench in the nostrils of God, since it is not offered how? In spirit and in truth. Knowing God brings us to hate evil as he does. It's always about knowledge of him. We go to his word for knowledge of God. The more we know him, the more that we know what evil is and hate it. We learn to hate evil as we become more like our Father. His life becomes our life. His love becomes our love. And his hate becomes our hate. It takes people, I have fun with it, back a little when uh, the subject of religion comes up, someone that doesn't know me very well, and I tell them that you're, you'll never meet anyone that hates religion more than I do. <laughs> a lot of times they say, oh, you're a pastor. How can you say that? <laughs> Religion is man's way of reaching up to God, but God reached down to us. The creator God is my father. That's relationship, not religion. So we go on to the positive side of this, and we learn to cling what, to what is good. We could correctly render this, cling to what is of God, where Jesus himself said that only God is good. What is of God is found in 1 Corinthians 13, as Paul describes the love that God is, and Galatians 5, where we see the fruit of the Spirit beginning with love. If we are to be like our Father, we must be against sin. We must love righteousness and hold to it. 
we cling to our Father who is perfect good, we should stay on pretty solid ground. This should be given, it should be a given, but the presence of this command through Paul reveals there is a tendency in all of life to allow the good to slip away, to slip away. One commentator writes on this, the half world of the mediocre, mediocre has many inhabitants. The dim path of compromise is well-traveled. The lazy world of taking things as they are, of being satisfied with status quo, holds great attraction for multitudes. The foggy atmosphere of half-truth obscures the landscape and comes all too many to go, cause all too many to go off the road. The old proverb that the good is enemy of the best should be supplemented by the truth that the lazy compromise with mediocre is the enemy of the good. So the Christian, as a citizen, we must do what is right according to the law. We must do what is right according to the law. We must follow the law. We must do as it commands when it doesn't contradict God's good. All right? Uh, I think we probably all were excited to see Texas pass a law recently uh, approved by the Supreme Court that now uh, no abortions after you can hear the heartbeat of the unborn. Uh, we'd like to see it go further than that, but this is a big step in the right direction. A Christian should never willingly have to make that choice of an abortion or not, that it's always wrong. A Christian should never expose their daughter to this kind of danger, isn't it? This goes back to that mediocre, that compromise. Too many fathers who don't know the truth, don't know the importance of his protection over his daughter, have put their daughters in danger and ended up being uh, pregnant because they weren't ready to say, no, I won't do this. We must cling to good to what is good when it's not popular. And again, this is really going on and you and I are more and more going to be, have to be face to face with this kind of thing where we're gonna say no uh, to what isn't good as our government tries to take, over, take away more and more of our freedoms. But it can be simple things and uh, I was reminded of a, a, a time I was driving for a courier service in the late 80s, and I was over in Red Wing, Minnesota at the bridge crossing, I believe it was in Mississippi. Anyway, they were repairing half of this two-lane bridge, so there was a light on each end of the bridge, and uh, of course, the green light you went through, and the red light you had to stop. Well, as I was coming up to the light to go across into Wisconsin, this truck was going through, and I could see he was going through on a yellow light, and I wasn't going to make it. It's going to be red. I tempted, but now it's going to be red when he gets through. So 
I pulled over into the other lane to wait because then cars would be coming this way and I'd be in their way. I pulled over. Well, three cars pulled right up behind that truck, getting close enough so they couldn't see the light, so they would have an excuse to go through. And uh, there was an old couple in front of the truck, and they went so slow over this bump and then shot across a bridge that the truck just barely got started onto the bridge and the people from the other direction were coming after him. Well, he didn't have, the, they came the greater distance and he didn't have any choice. Once he saw what was happening, he had to back up. So he did it real slowly. Well, these three cars were behind, well, one car right behind him and the other two, and the two behind this first car, they didn't get out of the, out of the way quick enough. So the first car got hit, but not very hard because I was blowing the horn and flashing my lights. And so it just bumped, damaged a little of the car. Well, right away, the, the, the two cars in the back, they knew they were wrong. They got out of there. <laughs> they got out of there. But the person right behind the truck didn't have a choice. Her car had been banged up. They called the police. Now, I waited there over an hour because I saw what happened and I knew what was gonna happen. That trucker was gonna get the ticket for backing into this lady. And I told the officer, I said, that lady should have not have been there. She should have been parked behind me. She was trying to sneak through the red light and that trucker couldn't see her, didn't know she was back there and he was backing up really slow. And he was going through the light while it was still yellow. And, uh, so anyway, I was able to give my story, and so very important. See, all three of these people were in the wrong. Two of them got away with it. Hopefully she didn't, but my main purpose, of course, was to see justice done and to see that that trucker didn't get a ticket for what he did not do wrong. Um, he just didn't. So sometimes we gotta do that. And, uh, I think once that lady found out what I told the officer, she'd probably been pretty hot towards me, but I was gone by then. <laughs> Sometimes we won't be gone. Sometimes we've got to stand up. We've got to be witnesses for the truth, and so very important that we are, that uh, we're for the good. A Christian must be willing to take the sneers of the world of evil, which hates those who stand for righteousness without regard for the cost to us. We're in a time when evil is called good and good is called evil. It's just a flabbergasting to the extent that this is gone. We see time after time people we trusted to do right compromise with evil. We know the church is in the sorry state it is because its leaders compromised and went along with evil. What isn't of God? Our Lord asked the question in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do the things which I say. <clears throat> so that's a Christian as a citizen. The Christian is in his church. To cling what is good means that we must follow leaders who, Ephesians 4.12, excuse me, Equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. 
to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. There's so much there involved in the proper growth of the church. One commentator writes here, to hold fast to that which is good in our church life, there must be a definite adherence to the word of God. A church must be governed by good men who are led by the Holy Spirit. Elders, deacons, stewards, or others who have the spiritual direction of the congregation should be chosen in accordance with the principles laid down in the word of God. Too, too often in the past, this hasn't happened and it's caused a great deal of harm. But the leaders must be examples of love to the flock, as Peter stated in 1 Peter 5, 3, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So it comes down always to knowing our Father, knowing our God. A child automatically imitates his father. And so should we. Scripture even teaches that, be imitators of God. And as we know him, we know his hates and we know his loves. And our life becomes more and more like his life, the life that he's given us. So very important with that let's pray father thank you for our time in your word uh, again father things to think about we don't often think about you and the way you do hate uh, you hate evil and father so should we hate what is not wrong again not directed towards the person but the action and father always uh, seeking to love people towards you you show us very clearly through your word that uh, there are things that you do not like, that you hate, and that we are too as well. But you do not call us to hate people, but to love others, and uh, especially, Father, within your church. And we thank you for this. Again, we pray for all and uh, uh, the needs that each may have and ask for a blessed week, Father, that, uh, again, we might know you more and more, that we might express your love to others. We praise you in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen.